Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Wednesday, November the 18th. I'm Tom Tilly, joined by Annika Smethurst. And Annika, we're talking lobsters, wine and barley. Yeah, these are just some of the Aussie products getting caught up in that billion-dollar trade war we're having with China. Yeah, it's a pretty concerning situation for Aussie farmers, as we'll find out. We're going to interview the man in the hot seat in this big dispute, the Trade Minister, Simon Birmingham. The ball is, in many ways, very much in China's court. We have made sure the door is held wide open in that regard. Yeah, he's got a very tough job at the moment. His counterpart in China is not picking up the phone. Find out more about that in just a moment. First, let's get to the other big stories of the day. Coles, Target and Kmart are the latest brands to ditch products sponsored by Pete Evans after he posted that cartoon containing a neo-Nazi symbol online. Channel 10 has also decided to dump the celebrity chef from its upcoming season of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, which begins filming next week. And there are reports that the network still had to pay him a a $200,000 appearance fee. Now, in case you haven't seen that picture, it was a caterpillar talking to a butterfly with a symbol on its wings. Now, someone commented identifying the symbol as the black sun. And Evans replied, I was waiting for someone to see that. Yeah, and the black sun uh, is a symbol used by neo-Nazis. Pete Evans has since deleted the post and claimed that he had no idea what the symbol meant. And then he posted a video on his Instagram stating that he's not a neo-Nazi. The mainstream media have come out and labelled me a racist and a neo-Nazi. The fact that I had to actually Google what neo-Nazi meant is pretty telling. So I would just want to tell you this once and one time only. It is completely untrue, unfactual and a load of garbage. A whopping 4,000 people have been ordered to quarantine across South Australia as the parafield cluster continues to grow. Yesterday, another four cases were confirmed, bringing the total to 20. Now, Premier Stephen Marshall says they're not taking any chances. What we're doing in South Australia is putting all of those people that we think pose the, the biggest risk, those people that have come into contact with somebody who's infectious, put them into quarantine as quickly as possible. We want to stop the spread of this disease in its tracks. That was the Premier. The Chief Public Health Officer, Nicholas Bourrier, says they're still determining where a fifth case and another 14 suspected infections came from. We are still doing uh, testing to confirm that, but these are people that we feel are at high risk of becoming a case uh, and have symptoms. Yeah, and the other interesting part of this story, Annika, are those people who were just about to finish 14 days of quarantine, staying in that hotel at the centre of this outbreak, who have been told... They're going to have to do another 14 days. I don't want to encourage an uprising, but I don't know how much I'd cope with that, Tom. How about you? Yeah, I mean, it sounds horrible. I I know a few people who've been going through it and, you know, they're getting counselling each day to deal with the the, the mental health struggle of being stuck in a tiny room, often with no uh, windows that you can open, no balconies. And you'd be counting down the, the days, potentially even the minutes to getting out of there. And then all of a sudden you've got another 14 days. Some of these people got flights booked um, the day afterwards to go back home interstate as well. So, yeah, a very tough situation for those people. And let's hope they get an upgrade in the new hotel. <laughs> Give me a balcony. And Scott Morrison has struck a historic defence agreement with Japan during his first trip overseas since the pandemic began. This in-principle pact increases military cooperation between Australia and Japan in the Indo-Pacific and allows the troops from each country to use each other's military bases. Our Prime Minister has played down concerns. China will take this the wrong way. This is a significant evolution of this relationship. 
But there is, there is no reason for that to cause any concern elsewhere in the region. If anything, I think it adds to the stability of the region, which is a good thing. Yeah, there's a fear that China will block or tax more Aussie products in retaliation to this agreement. Treasurer Josh Frydenberg, though, is doing his part to ease tensions, offering a little bit of a circuit breaker, which could help repair relations. Today, he'll tell a strategic forum that Australia stands ready to engage with the Chinese government in, quote, a respectful and mutually beneficial dialogue. And I read also, Annika, that in meeting the new uh, Japanese Prime Minister, Yoshihide Suga, um, he told Scott Morrison he could call him Yoshi, and Scott Morrison then said, you can call me ScoMo. Cute. Look, we've always had a pretty good relationship with Japan. We did under the last administration, and we're one of the first global leaders to make it over there since they've had this new Prime Minister come in, so it's a pretty good sign for Australia. Yeah, and in terms of the tensions with China, um, we actually spoke to the Trade Minister, Simon Birmingham, about this issue. Uh, We interviewed him yesterday, just before this announcement about the deal with Japan, and uh, that's all coming up next. Did you hear about the Australian lobsters stuck on the tarmac at the Chinese airport because of the trade dispute? Yeah, it appears this Aussie industry is the latest victim of China's punishment of Australia. It's a growing problem. I mean, Annika, imagine being the trade minister right now. Pretty tough job, right? Yeah, you wouldn't want that job over any of them, I think. Yeah, we're actually going to speak to the trade minister, Simon Birmingham, about this growing tension with China and what they're actually going to do to to fix it. And also what it's like not getting your phone calls returned by your Chinese counterpart. First, we'll give you some of the key context of this massive dispute. This year, after our political leaders went out pretty hard calling for that independent inquiry into where the coronavirus came from, China started to announce restrictions on some of our products. Yeah, so the first big hit was to Bali in May. Uh, They whacked an 80% tariff on it, effectively stopping a billion-dollar trade for Australia. Um, Then earlier this month, it was wine, um, with Aussie winemakers unsure whether any of their products have cleared customs in the past fortnight. Yeah, and sugar, coal, timber and wool could also be in the firing line. And we have a lot of people that depend on that. Yeah, and and so far, those restrictions add up to about $5 billion. So it's, it's a lot of money, but it is still relatively small proportionately in our overall export relationship with China, which is $150 billion. But if this keeps going, say if they stop taking our iron ore, then we could be in serious financial trouble, right, Annika? Mm, It is a bit of a worry. But look, we need to find out if it's our fault. Have we been too outspoken for our own good? And how do we stop this getting worse? Before we get to the trade minister, we're going to speak to someone else who understands this relationship quite well. Jeff Raby was our ambassador to China from 2007 to 2011. He's now the director of a Chinese mining firm. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Just how bad is our relationship with China right now? Oh, it's never been this bad. There's uh, absolutely no question. Uh, We have not had uh, bilateral senior contact now for three years, uh, unprecedented since we established diplomatic relations. And uh, for the course of most of this year, we've been in a tit-for-tat downward spiral of retaliation in the relationship. So how did we get here? Well, it's um, uh, it's a big story. Uh, But uh, the the context is that we're trying to manage our relationship with China in a period of the greatest power shift in modern history, uh, power shift from the United States to China. And the United States has been our traditional security ally. And China, of course, as we all know, is 
by and far our most uh, significant trading partner. And, you know, 10% of Australia's GDP depends on our trade with China. Uh, so we are very, very reliant on, on the state of our relations with China. But there's been a more aggressive Chinese foreign policy emerge in recent years. And I don't think that we have been very adept or adroit in navigating our way through that. And we have uh, very closely aligned ourselves with the US, which is the dominant power in its process of resisting China, which is the ascendant power. Uh, and we're the only country in the region which has got itself into the situation. Jeff, who is at fault here, though? Shouldn't we stand up to bullies? Uh, we should defend our interests, absolutely. The question is how we go about doing it. So, for example, when the Prime Minister made his unilateral call for uh, an independent inquiry into COVID-19 in March, nothing wrong with that and unacceptable and, of course, many people were thinking the same thing. It happened in the context of uh, President Trump uh, making very, very uh, aggressive uh, comments about China and COVID, Wuhan virus, China virus, and so on. And we did it alone. We didn't bring along allies. We didn't prepare the way. We didn't even speak to China about it. And yet the investigation was to be about the origin of the, of, of the virus in Wuhan. So it's, it's a lot how we do things. And, and I, th I think your point's a very good one because I think what's happened is the debate in Australia has now been framed in terms of um, sycophancy on one side or hostility on the other, as if there's no uh, place in between that can mm. be uh, found. So when you look at all these trade restrictions that we're now facing, is there any doubt that that is a coordinated um, act of punishment from Beijing? It, it would seem so. I mean, Be Be Beijing has plausible deniability. It's a clever way they operate. They can imply pressure on our exporters, not only just by introducing tariffs, which are quite um, transparent, but by simply talking about it, and then it creates uncertainty in the market and traders and Chinese importers are not knowing what price goods will be landed at shy away from Australian products. So how coordinated it is, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't have a smoking gun either, but clearly something's going on and a very clear point's being made to us that uh, there's a great deal of unhappiness uh, on the Chinese side uh, with Australia's behaviour. At the heart of this, a lot of our farmers and exporters are the ones that are really feeling the pain. And there's been a suggestion that we can just pivot and, and find new markets for our goods. But how intertwined is our economy with China's and, and what options do we actually have? Very few, in my view. I mean, over a very long period of time, yes, uh, more options will open. Uh, but if you're talking short to medium term, as most uh, uh, businesses are, then the options are very few. I mean, you can sell uh, our premium wine somewhere else at a lower price, but you're not going to get the value or the volume that China offers. It's a unique market. That's where the big dilemma comes from. China is, is not only big, but it's getting increasingly richer with something like 300 new middle class being minted over the last 15 years. And Australians have been extremely successful in realising that and getting into those markets. That was Jeff Raby, former ambassador to China. He's got a book out, Annika, which is probably quite relevant right now, China's Grand Strategy and Australia's Future in the New Global Order. Good time to get that out. Let's go to the Trade Minister and find out what he's going to do. Simon Birmingham, thanks for joining us. We just heard Jeff Raby say our relationship with China is the worst it's been since diplomatic relations began in the 70s. Do you agree with that? 
Look, I wouldn't want to measure it uh, in that sense because uh, these things are quite subjective, but it is clearly in a difficult position. Uh, we uh, are disappointed by many of the actions that China's taken on the trade front during the course of this year. We equally have expressed disappointment, as Australia has done for decades, over matters in relation to human rights concerns uh, or, of course, the issues around Hong Kong, for example. So there are a number of, uh, of issues of tension uh, and what is perhaps most troubling of all in terms of working through those issues of tension is the reticence of China to uh, to engage in ministerial level dialogue with Australia because the best way to work through difficult issues is usually to sit down and talk. As we see more of these sanctions, obviously the people that are suffering are farmers and, and exporters. Now, China's foreign ministry says the reduction in imports is, is due to a change in taste, perhaps, not a directive f- uh, from Beijing. Do you buy that? Uh, look, it is, uh, it is clear that there have been many regulatory disruptions this year that have been uh, caused by, sanctioned by, uh, government in different ways. So uh, the anti-dumping dispute on Bali and the levelling of duties and tariffs there, the initiation and the similar dispute uh, on the wine industry, uh, the suspension of a number of meat processing plants uh, and their licences to be able to operate uh, into China, uh, the delays in relation to shipments of resources getting through ports, uh, the heightened checks on Australian products, uh, be it seafood, timber or otherwise, that don't appear based on all of the intelligence and information that we have received out of China to be being levelled in the same sort of way uh, to comparable producers and exporters. So, uh, no, this doesn't seem to be uh, a choice of consumers. Uh, it is uh, it is obviously uh, a series of actions uh, by government uh, and it's the cumulative effect of those actions that I guess gives rise to the degree of concern that, uh, uh, that we hold and that we express and why we urge uh, Beijing to, uh, to uh, come to the table. Simon Birmingham, I'm really interested to know how you're going to solve this problem. It can't be easy, especially when you can't get your counterpart um, to speak directly to you. Jeff Raby in our earlier interview said, we need to put a floor under this downward spiral. It's already pretty concerning, especially if you're a barley farmer or a lobster farmer. Um, and it could get even worse if Brazil starts producing iron ore again and they stop taking our iron ore. It's going to really hurt us. So what are you going to do? Uh, look, if, uh, if only it were a simple, easy step that could be taken, Tom. Uh, mm. The ball is in many ways very much in China's court. Uh, as I've stressed in, uh, in our chat here, you know, we are willing to sit down and talk. Uh, we have made sure the door is held uh, wide open in that regard. Uh, we've expressed the fact that we want to have a mutually beneficial relationship, that we want to see China's continued uh, prosperity and uh, and that we want to be uh, peaceful partners for that prosperity right across uh, the region as we have been successfully in uh, in recent years but it seems like uh, those yes, sort of those sort of overtures aren't enough do we need to give more ground politically um jeff raby was saying we maybe didn't handle our outspoken comments on on the inquiry into the the origins of the coronavirus on the way we ban huawei on the way we involved ourselves in the South China Sea discussion, do we need to reframe our approach to those issues? Do you need to rein in some of your colleagues? Well, I certainly think that we should always speak clearly with uh, with a voice of 
respect and moderation, and uh, and that is how I seek to approach it, and uh, and how the leadership across the government approaches these issues. But uh, we should never compromise when it comes to uh, our values, uh, our interests, our security, our sovereignty, uh, and we must be clear about uh, about that. Uh, and nor should China expect that we would be willing to do so. Uh, and indeed, nor do we uh, wish to compromise uh, the values or sovereignty of other nations. But, but uh, do you think we've up. maybe done it the wrong way? Like it's not a binary, we speak up or we don't speak up. It's about how we do it. And do you think some of your colleagues maybe have not handled themselves ideally? Have we made some mistakes? Across, uh, across Australia, uh, in our democratic system, in our media, uh, we see commentary that, uh, that is not sometimes the language that I would choose to use. But we are a free democracy with a free media. Uh, and of course, equally, I look at some of the commentary in some of the state-run media outlets uh, in China, uh, and at times that could be described as offensive towards Australia. Uh, now, I choose not to take offence because uh, I want to drive the relationship in a positive way, uh, and I would, uh, would urge those in China who might occasionally uh, be aggrieved at some comments that have been made uh, in a robust democracy and a free media like ours, to similarly look beyond that, not to take offence at those sorts of things. Uh, we ought to be able to reconcile the differences that we have just as we have long done. That was Trade Minister Simon Birmingham with a tough job, obviously. Um, Annika, do you think the election of Joe Biden in the US will change his dynamic at all? Look, privately, there is a little bit of positivity around Canberra about this, that perhaps he could cool tensions in this area. Now, a lot of people claim we can't just rely on that. We will have to start to patch things up a little bit ourselves, but it definitely could help us at the moment. All right, that is it for the briefing today. Uh, Tomorrow, a very exciting interview. We're going to speak to Donald Trump's niece, Mary. Join us for that one on the briefing tomorrow. Have a great day. A Podcast One production.